0: Who? Who's having a good time so far in service, man? Who was blessed during service? I uh, like during worship. You know, I mean, I just was, felt a special measure of blessing. And you know, last week I felt like the Lord just did something. Uh, who here was just like, just your world got rocked last week? And if you came down for some prayer and things like that, it was it was an awesome time? Um, <laughs> and I just felt like the Lord was just saying that He was uh, turning a chapter, turning a page. Uh, That we're entering into a new place and a new future, a new presence um, in the Lord. So Father, we just thank you for this time so far. (laughs) What a service already. Your provision, your spirit, the reality of the gospel. We just pray that your spirit can just continue to guide us during the message, Lord. All God's people said, "Amen." I'm like so like, whoa. I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could preach today. So if I if I'm on the fa- I, if I'm on like the fast version, just be like, whoa, Because worship and the offering and provision, just like I'm all I'm all ghosted out. That's like a Pentecostal way of saying like you're feeling good. All right, all right. So yesterday, corned beef, cabbage. Anyone do that yesterday? I'm like 3% Irish. My wife is 0% Irish, but we did it. No one else? You had it? All right, I'm talking. All right. At work? work. Okay, so, yeah, uh, so, Kate? It's not traditional lamb. Uh, Okay, all right. So it's it's an immigrant thing, okay. (laughs) Sorry. So the the resident Irish woman is is not liking where we're going already. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. All right, so in some circles, right, uh, corned beef, cabbage, whatever is, is the, you know, it, some people eat. Um, whatever the case may be, uh, I was <clears throat> feeling that the Lord was just saying, look, maybe there's something to this. Uh, this. This festival was taking place yesterday, St. Patrick's Day. And so I started to just kind of look into it a little bit. First, just out of curiosity, and I felt the Holy Spirit on it. I just really felt the Holy Spirit on it. So uh, today's message is, in fact, corned beef, cabbage, and holy fire. Let's see how it all comes together. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 13, and this is largely in continuation of last week's message. The fire is to be kept on the altar continually. The presence, the fire of God is to be on the altar in the Holy of Holies continually, all the time. Never going out, never going out, never going out, always on the altar. Uh, and I felt, and I feel, and many of us probably feel somewhat similar, uh, that too many churches and too many of people uh, have actually have kept the fire of God off the altar. Well, I mean fire, I mean passion. I mean Holy Ghost presence. Because when the Holy Ghost shows up, there's less control by man the Holy Ghost shows up, sometimes things can get a little supernatural. And it's really hard to explain supernatural to natural people if they do not have the eyes of faith. But we know that the Lord is a supernatural God, and God is the God of signs, wonders, and miracles. Amen? And when the fire of God falls in a place, signs, wonders, and miracles happen. People are healed. People are set free. Chains are broken. When holy fire falls... I feel that sometimes churches and individuals will keep the fire off of the altar of God because they have their attention on other matters. Right, we're human beings, right? We lose focus. It's not always for bad things like, you know, we're human beings, we can't always be thinking about everything and our eyes kind of go one way and a lot of times they're good things people. For example, I know some I know some wonderful wonderful churches who put so much focus on the social gospel. The social gospel would be, you know, feeding the poor, clothing the naked, helping people. A lot of things that actually our government does. A lot of uh, need-based things. And that is good things. I mean, it's the things of the Lord. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. But there's a lot of people that I have found that they'll put that focus on there and the fire of God... It doesn't get the attention that it deserves. Uh, some people actually quite purposely uh, put their attention on not-so-good matters uh, in the church and in their life. Um, you know, ministries that don't want to really have the fire of God on the altar uh, because they want to maybe ensure attendance. One of the quickest ways to grow a church is not talk about the fire of God. One of the quickest ways to talk about church is not talk about sin. One of the quickest ways to grow a church is not to talk about repentance. It's the quickest way to grow a church. If we want to grow the church, we can just make this like a self-help seminar. Right? And people come in, we talk about mindfulness and being at ease and all this kind of stuff, and everyone loves each other and everything's gonna be good. Don't worry about life, just go into deep meditation and you know God loves you, and that's that. But holy fire is to be on the altar continually. So what is holy fire? Holy, right, kadosh, is holiness unto the Lord. Holiness is sacredness, is sanctity, is being set apart from the world. Holy, actually in Hebrew, kadosh, means to be set apart. You're not like everything else. Everything else goes on, but you're holy, you are different than everything else. You are set apart for a given purpose. Fire... Is the passion that we have for Him. The fire of passion. The passion He has for us. Essentially, the fire on the altar is the presence of God. Uh, It is the thing, the element that burned up the sacrifice that went up to the Lord. In order for your sacrifice to be anything, it needs to be burned in the Old Testament. Right? You... Bring an animal, you take the blood, you take the fat, you put it on the altar, and the fire comes and brings it up. And so that's what's so wonderful in a New Testament understanding is that our sacrifices and mean nothing. They mean nothing if they cannot go up into the throne room of God. And the only way they can go up into the throne room of God is if they're lit on fire. The fire is the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost's presence to burn... In you, so the sacrifice of praise and the sacrifice of your life can go into the throne room of God. My Lord, it's the way it works, people. You need holy fire. Holy fire, the presence of God is going to bring the power of the Holy Ghost. It's going to make changes. It's going to bring deliverance. It's going to empower you through giftings. Man, who is here on Wednesday? Come on, right? We were just like, we're believing for the Lord for words of knowledge. First Corinthians chapter 12 lists the different giftings. And we were saying, look, there's gifts of knowledge. And so we had people, man, from age 80 to age 12 giving words of knowledge over one another. The Holy Ghost came. There was all this awesome stuff. Revelation, encouragement. Come on. This is what happens when you invite the presence of God. Supernatural things. I cannot do things in the natural, right? We cannot bring forth change in society. We cannot bring forth change in this church. We cannot bring forth change in our lives without the fire of God, the Spirit of God in our midst. And it really saddens me that a lot of good churches have their eyes have gone astray on other things, and they forgot that there is a fire that needs to be tended to. And so we need to keep the fire burning in this house, amen? Amen. I want to keep it burning alive and fresh and new in this place and in my own life. And so to take a look uh, at some of the lessons here, we're going to actually look at four different people. We're going to start off with St. Patrick. We then will go to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And then we will go to a little-known man of the Bible known as Zerubbabel. And then we will finish up with Elijah. So let us begin with St. Patrick. What kind of accent did St. Patrick have? Oh, very good. You got an English one. So he's not Irish. He's actually English. And before we get into this, there, there's a lot of different stories about St. Patrick. There's different versions of the story. There's different ones. I read over a couple of them, but there seems to be some similarities amongst all of them. And so I'm kind of bringing all those similarities together. So right off the bat, what's going on here St. Patrick? Now we don't really talk about saints in, uh, in Protestantism because we're all saints. I mean, even my Bible doesn't say St. Paul, it just says Paul. We're all saints. But the Catholics do this thing called sainthood. Uh, and so, you know, out of respect, you know, I'll just call him St. Patrick for most of today. Born in Britain to a Christian family, but he is a wayward believer. He doesn't, he's like, ah, mom, dad, whatever. Right? How many of you have been there? <laughs> In the year 400, Anno Domini, the year 400 in the year of our Lord. At age 16, he is abducted as a slave. Uh, and he is brought to Ireland. So the Irish get on their boat, they go over to England, they abduct this kid. They bring him back to Ireland and he's a slave. And when he's there, he's given or rather sold into slavery to a guy by the name of Michlu, who is the chief of the tribe. This is one version of the story. While he is serving underneath Mishlu, he is there and um, he is going to be a shepherd for six years out in the hills and the mountains of Ireland tending to the chief's sheep. While he's there, he begins to call out on the name of the Lord. It's funny that when we go through things, right, where we're like, oh, yeah, okay, God now. You know, so he's like this wayward Christian, but once he's out taken into slavery and living out in the, in, in the hills and the woods and tending the sheep, the sheep, he's, calling, he's starting to call out to the Lord. And Patrick has two dreams. The first one is this. It is well that you fast. He's fasting right now. It is well that you fast. Soon you will go to your home country. Your ship is ready. And there's a bunch of different ways, different stories of how he got back onto the ship. One, he jumped off a cliff and just swam to the ship. Another one is he just like miraculously just walks onto the ship and people are just like, like all the doors just open to him. Whatever a case to be, he gets on the ship, he goes back to Britain. He returns to Great Britain and he's going through his life there and then he has his second dream. Probably even a more powerful dream. And the dream is uh, that a man appears to him and the man begins to speak to him in the voice of the Irish. I guess in the Gaelic tongue. And the voice says your The voice says holy boy please return to us we need you And he returns He returns to the land that enslaved him he returns to the land of the people that controlled him He goes there in the springtime and he approaches the hill of Tara or Tara Tara is a pagan goddess. It's at this location, at this hill that you see right there, uh, that it is a holy place for the goddess Tara, or Tara, and it's also known as the gateway to the other world. And this is like Druid religion here, okay? It's at this time that there is a festival, the festival of Tara, and uh, during the festival, no fires are allowed to be lit. There's only one fire that is allowed to be lit in the entire country at that night. It's actually Easter Eve because it's the fertility goddess that's being exalted. And the fire is to be on that very hill. No other fires at all of the land of Ireland. He goes there and in disobedience to the spirit of the age, he builds a physical fire. But also a fire that's representing the Holy Ghost of God. The Druids come up to him like, what are you doing? The king, everyone has said you're not allowed to have another fire. This is like punishment of, of death. The Druids come and they, they bring back, like you know, um, cisterns or jugs of water. And the story goes that they're trying to pour the water out over the fire. And the fire that Patrick has lit cannot be quenched. They try to abduct him but they can't even go near the fire. because The fire is roaring so strongly, so profoundly. Now, think of this, right? It's, it's like early, early spring, literally like next week. You're in Ireland. A fire's going, so it's at night, you know? Ireland, it's like the fog's in there, right? They're up on this hill. It's probably a little misty, probably out there with some wet clothes, right? And these Druids are coming, trying to pour out the, the fire, trying to get rid of the fire. St. Patrick is there, and they, they can't put it out, And right? I Just set that mood, right? The moon is out, the stars are out, and Patrick stands in defiance and disobedience to the spirit of Ireland. He says, I am here bringing a new light, the light of Christ, the Savior of the world, the light of the world. He then goes on for 29 years, he has a ministry there, baptizes 120,000 Irishmen, sets up 300 churches. Not bad for, before cars, for social media, and it's one guy. One scholar says that essentially the key to unlocking the fire of Patrick, the key to understand this fire, is through his past experience. Being a slave. Scar says, through that experience of prayer and trial, he, Patrick, came to know God. The experience of being a slave, right? Being in Ireland underneath the chief. God the Father who gave his protection, he came to know Jesus and the sufferings, and he came to be united with Messiah, and he came to identify with the Messiah and the counsel of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. The key to the walking in the fire of God that Patrick was able to sustain came through an understanding of suffering. Wow. We as people do not like to suffer, but I'm telling you, as Dr. Martin Luther King said, unearned suffering is redemptive. Now, I'm not talking about suffering that you deserve. You being a knucklehead. I'm talking about unearned suffering is redemptive. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. Like, don't, don't think it's weird that like a trial has come into your life. Like, it, it's not because you sinned. It's not because of this. It's not because, don't think it's strange that trials come. It happens. It's called being a human being. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. See, this is unlocking the key to the fire. This is the key to unlocking what Patrick and Dr. King is saying. If you suffer for the message of the gospel, if you suffer for him, there is a redemption that is brought into it. Now, why is that? Because you're standing on the cross. When you suffer for him, it's because of him. And you're in alignment for who he is and what he's doing. But there's also another kind of principle that is a little bit more difficult to understand. And I'm telling you, it happens. It's known as the law of opposites. You cannot really know. You really can't really understand goodness unless you've seen evil. You don't know how wonderful it is to be healthy until you're sick. When someone is sick and really going through it, and then they get better, they're like, oh, now I understand how awesome health is. I actually would admonish you that someone living in Miami, Florida cannot ever comprehend the beauty of springtime like you and I do. Because in order to understand spring and summer, you need to walk through winter. Without winter, you cannot believe and understand the goodness and the glories and the beauty of spring. If you're always living in springtime, people, it, you take it for granted. And this is what I think is being meant by unearned suffering is redemptive. When you go through the thick of thick, your suffering, if you will, builds a, a cistern. It builds a, a jar that you're now able to hold more of the joy of the Lord. Does that make sense? Like, he is the potter. We are the clay, man. And I'm telling you, as deep as some of your pain and suffering is, is as beautiful and redemptive the joy will be. When you see people that really live life, I mean, those people that are really living life, I'm telling you almost all the time, they've gone through a a difficult situation. Go talk to someone who got out of jail, right? Go talk to someone that had a near-death experience. Go talk to someone who had cancer but then was healed. Like, their life is like completely transformed. That is the redemptive part of the suffering process. It forces you to awaken inside of you the realness and the goodness of what's going on. Does not the Lord say that he's going to turn our mourning into joy? Does he not say, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted? To be comforted, you need to... You need to go through something. I'm not saying the Lord like, is like, suffer, 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 trying to make you all suffer. But come on, we're... We're human beings and we're in a fallen world and things come and fires come and difficulties come. But what I'm saying here is the thing of Dr. King, the thing of St. Patrick is they went through a period of suffering. Instead of that suffering defining them, the suffering unleashed something in them. It unleashed a redemptive quality. How do you preach? How do you speak with the conviction and the power of Dr. King if you didn't go through hard times? Amen. So many of you have gone through hard times. You've gone through it, man. It's not there to define you. It's there to unleash in you a power of the gospel. That's right. Oh, wow. David needs to be hunted by his father in the hills of Judea. Patrick had to be a slave in some sense to learn the understanding of reliance on the uh, the Lord. Now, of course, we do not want to suffer and we do not ask for it, nor should we. But suffering does come. And it hopefully is unearned. And hopefully it's because of something that you're standing up for in the name and the power of Jesus. But most of us do not want to suffer, obviously, and so many churches and people, I believe, have a quiet cooperation with the spirit of the age. I want to say that again. Many people have a quiet cooperation. They're not overtly serving the spirit of the age, but they're cooperating with that spirit a little bit quietly. There isn't a disobedience like Patrick had. But there needs to be. This takes us to this is a bell. So, St. Patrick, the fire, in disobedience to the spirit of the age of the time, he lit a fire. Dr. King, unearned suffering is redemptive. Zerubbabel is hanging out with Ezra and Nehemiah, whom I taught about last week. Zerubbabel is going to be in charge of building the temple of God upon the return to Israel. Because when they return, what happens here is this a fire needs an altar to burn on. And the fire of God needs to burn in this house and in us. In ancient Israel, they needed to build a temple in order to have an altar, in order to put the sacrifice on the altar so that the Spirit of God would burn it up. So when Zerubbabel goes to build the temple of God, in Zechariah 4.10 it says, Zerubbabel to build the temple, the place of the altar. He must use the plumb line. Zechariah four ten, and this is a plumb line. Apparently, this is my dad said this is my great grandfather's plumb line. I wonder if like a real mason, I don't mean a brick mason, I mean like mason, like secret organization mason, would ever dream that his plumb line would be used in a Pentecostal church. Praise <laughs> God. <laughs> Jesus. The plumb line. This is called a plumb. Uh, It is used in construction. Um, And the way in which it is used is it is used in building to check if vertical structures are true. So you know you have a level. A level would be for leveling things. But a plumb is for vertical things. I mean, you can use a level for vertical as well, but plumb is a little bit more accurate. And in ancient times, they would use that. Okay, So, right... Level and then plumb. If it's straight and vertical and true. So, Zerubbabel needs the plumb line in order to build the temple, to build the altar. Now, why? Because if you do not use a plumb, you get this. There is the Tower of Pisa. No plumb line. (laughs) Like, it starts innocent enough, I mean, you could be like a sixteenth of an inch off, but now the next row of brick, you're now not a sixteenth, now you're an eighth. The next row you're not an eighth, you're a quarter inch, and then every quarter inch you're a half an inch, then you're an inch, then you're two inches, and it doubles, 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 every row you go up until eventually it's, I mean, it's impressive that it's still up there. It really is impressive, but we do not want to build an altar in this place that is not plumb, that is not true. What am I talking about with this temple stuff and this altar stuff is this. A vertical structure is essentially a symbol of our connection that we have with God and with the heavenlies. Our altar is us, right? We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are an altar, a place of sacrifice. And I'm telling you that we need to make sure, just like in ancient Israel, that our structure our body, our altar, is plumb and true. Because right. if not, it's going to go out of whack and it's going to collapse. And if we have the worship team come on down. please. So how do we know that our structure in this place, this church, is true? How do we know if our bodies and our altars are true? Here are a couple questions, and I'm not going to answer them. It's just something for you to struggle with. (laughs) By what means do we measure our lives in our community? What do you use as a plumb line to determine if this church or your individual life is true to the things of the Lord? We use a whole bunch of different things. We could use money, we can use resources, we can use even what kind of peace we may have. second question what tells us that things are aligned that life is where it needs to be Mm. these are important questions to simplify it what's your life all about How are you a measure of success? But as Amos the prophet said that he was to use a plumb line, and as Zerubbabel said that he was to use the plumb line, I am telling you that a plumb line is being dropped in this place right now. We are a somewhat small church, but the Lord is taking his time to say he's the foundation to the altar of plumb. What is the measure of success in my house, says the Lord? What is the meaning of your life and your existence? O oh, altar of God, which is us? I believe the answer to determine the vertical structure in all of this is to be found in Malachi 2.3. Where Malachi says, burn up the dross. A refiner's fire. I believe the Lord is taking his grand old time with us. Because he wants the dross, the impurities of things, to be burned out. You see, as I've preached before, the larger and the deeper the foundations, the sturdier the building and the taller it can be. And I'm saying that this is what's happening in this church and this is what's happening in your life. But the Lord is bringing forth a plumb line. What is going to be true and vertical and pure in this house? And I'm telling you that we need to respond and say, Lord, you are the potter, I am merely the clay. Lord, everything that is not of you needs to go. And I need to have more of you. To align this house of God. It must be that this house is a resting place for the Spirit of God. Everything else will come. Everything else will come, people. The social gospel piece will come. The evangelism will come. The roof and its problems will be fixed. But the plumb line is being drawn in your life. Align it to the heart of God. Let your life be an altar unto Him. In closing up, the last character, Elijah. You see, Elijah is dealing with Israel like we deal with the Church of, the, of America. Some of their eyes have gone astray. First... Kings chapter 18, verse 21 says, And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? See, we're not saying should you be saved or not saved. I'm saying there's something a little bit more sophisticated here. Two opinions. To come to a church that is nice, neat, and orderly. Or a church that is relying on the fire of God? Which one do you want? You can go to a church, there's tons of them around. You can just go to a church where everything is hunky-dory. Everything is nice and clean and met and there's, ah, it just works so perfectly. And some of them do have the fire of God, but a lot of them don't. Or you can say, Lord, I don't want just a nice, neat Christian life anymore. I need the fire of God to disrupt my life. I want you to come, Malachi says, and burn up the dross. Get rid of the idols. Get rid of all of the things that are not of you. Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. The people couldn't make a decision. I, I, I don't know. Who would I serve? So as the scriptures go, Elijah invites the prophets of Baal to do their sacrifice, and Elijah makes his sacrifice. And many of us know the story of the rains and the water and the fire and all that, but today I wanted to focus on this, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30. They came to him and Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. I want you to focus on that word repair. You see, Elijah and you do not need to build an altar. He does not say Elijah built an altar to the Lord. He says that he repaired the altar of the Lord. He didn't have to start from scratch. He repaired it. Because it already existed. In 1928, this church was started. We don't have to build a new house. We just need to repair that house. I don't even talk about physically. I'm talking spiritually. Rebuild, repair the altar of God in this place. That it would not just be a wishy-washy church, but it would be a church that relies on the fire of God. 2,000 years ago, Jesus built the altar. Uh He built the altar, people. He carried the altar on His back. He carried the cross. He carried the altar, the place of the sacrifice. Not only did he build the altar, he willingly put himself on the altar of sacrifice, on the cross. And because he was on that altar, the Spirit of God is able to have access to our hearts and we have access to him. I just feel the Lord is just saying to us in this place to restore and rebuild the altar of your life. Do you want true Holy Ghost fire in your life? If we can stand, please. Let's just worship a little bit. I don't feel like the Lord is finished. I don't feel the Lord is finished. Let's just rely on Him for a moment.